Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, Chase. Well, uh, we're into episode 14, and we're into Mark 13. Sometimes it always throws me off how the episode numbers are one off for the chapter numbers we're in. Yeah, <laughs> but that's just you the get, way you it turned out. You got to do a little bit of math to keep up with us, I guess. That's right. But in chapter 12, Jesus has had the final set of confrontations and questioning, and he's condemned the Jewish leadership. And it really has set us up well for the prophecy that Jesus is going to make in Mark chapter 13. And this is a bit different and unusual from what we've seen out of Jesus so far in the gospel of Mark. Um, Jesus has told some parables. He's given some teaching on different things. He's had conversations with people. But in this chapter, we see things get pretty intense and Jesus switches into prophet mode in a sense. He really begins to look to the future and have some pretty frightening things to say um, about Jerusalem, specifically the city of Jerusalem. Yeah, no, I, I really love Mark the 13th chapter. Like you said, it's a, it's a little bit different uh, teaching out of Jesus than we normally see. He's going to be prophesying. And as we go through the text this afternoon or this morning, whenever you're listening, uh, we're going to see some references to the Old Testament. Jesus will borrow some language from some of the Old Testament prophets to talk about the destruction that's going to come onto Jerusalem. And so this is a really cool side of Jesus. So I hope you all are excited as we are to get to read about, about Jesus and the prophecy that he gives here. So let's begin with the introduction, which really is verses one and two. Um, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So we're introduced to this chapter by Jesus making, a, again, a grave statement about the fate of Jerusalem. And, and, a, and a bold statement. I mean, yeah. you, don't, you don't just casually say, these great buildings are going to be overthrown. And it's really not left up to metaphor either. I think it's it's pretty clear what he's talking about. I mean, the disciples are talking about the physical building, these wonderful stones, wonderful buildings. And Jesus says, yeah, these things are going to be torn down. And Stephen, you've been over there. Uh, how, how big of stones are we talking about here on the temple? They're huge. Um, there There is actually a first century road they've excav- excavated um, there near the Temple Mount, and there are stones there that very likely would have been some of the stones, maybe not of the temple building itself, but of the other buildings in the temple complex of Herod's temple that were thrown off this, you know, 30, 40, 50 foot drop um, onto the road below. And there's just these craters in the road. I mean, these are the size of a small car sometimes that, um, and of course, weighing probably even more than a small car, uh, enormous stones the 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 building project of the temple itself and really of herod's additions to the temple were impressive by anyone's standards and that's why the disciples are marveling they're like look teacher look at this complex this is amazing look at the stones look at the buildings and probably not the answer they were expecting jesus says there's not going to be one stone left on another 
in uh, on this this platform, so to speak, and um, they're going to be thrown down. And that's exactly what did happen. So we're going to see the, the fulfillment of this in history. Um, but I think it's also helpful to connect the beginning of this chapter with what has just happened at the end of chapter 12. And you'll remember that the scribes were some of the ones coming to him with these questions. And Jesus in 1238, Mark 1238, said, beware of the scribes. And he said in verse 40 that they devour widows' houses. And then they're in the temple in verse 41. He sat down opposite the treasury in the temple. They're watching people dropping their offerings. And that's when this poor widow comes and all she's got left is these two coins. And now they're leaving the temple and Jesus is proclaiming judgment on the temple and on the city. I mean, Jesus back in chapter 11, going back just a couple of episodes, Jesus calls the temple of robber's den. This place was supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've turned it into this robber's den. So like Stephen is emphasizing, you see kind of the, the, the view of Jesus in Jerusalem kind of boiling to a point where we read what we're about to read in Mark 13. Yeah. So let's get into the conversation that he has with a few of the disciples privately after this. Yeah, we're going to read Mark 13, verses 3 through 13, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he and will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For a nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts. You will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So here Jesus is sitting across from the temple on the Mount of Olives, not too far from each other. If you're sitting on the Mount of Olives, you can see very clearly the temple over there. And uh, Mark's gospel tells us that he's got four of the disciples with him, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. So a little different from the core three. He's got four here. And naturally, they start kind of asking him about what he just said. You know, that's a pretty harsh thing to say that this, this building is going to be overthrown and all the stones are going to be turned over on each other. Like that's a harsh thing to say. And so they're like, Jesus, when is this going to happen? And what's the sign that's going to accompany this? How can we know it's, it's about to happen? And what's interesting is Jesus in this whole first section, he really says, these are not the signs. Don't let anybody deceive you or don't get tricked into thinking that it's about to happen when these things happen. And so he begins by saying, 
listen, there's going to be a lot of people come in my name and say, I'm he, and they're going to lead people astray. There's going to be people who are claiming to be somebody, claiming to be a Christ or a, a leader, and they're going to lead people astray, but don't listen to them. If they're not Jesus. Of course, Jesus is going to depart. And there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, but don't be alarmed. These must take place. The end is not yet. You know, nation's going to rise against nation. There's going to be earthquakes, famines. Let me just say, these are things that happen all throughout human history. If there's anything that's common to human history, it's wars, earthquakes, famines. So Jesus is not saying, when you hear these things, this is it. He's saying, no, this is not it. Um, this is the beginning of birth pangs. It's not the real thing. It's a little bit like, and this has became very clear to me um, when now that I've had children, is that there's kind of false labor that can make you think it's time. And he says, no, this is not. This is the, this is the false labor, basically. And he says, these are the beginning of the birth pangs. But the real thing is going to come when he gets down to verse 14 and say, these are the signs you need to watch for, and then you need to run. But he continues on in verse 9 through 13 with some specific hard things that the disciples are going to face before this destruction comes that he's talking about. Yeah. And they're going to be beaten. They're going to be before dragged before Kings. And he gives them comfort about what to say that the Holy Spirit's going to speak through them. And that if you endure to the end, you're going to be saved. It's interesting. Jesus says at the end of verse nine, when you stand before the governors and Kings for my sake, it's as a testimony to them. You're, you are going to be witnessing or testim, uh, your testimony is going to be given on my behalf to these people as you're brought before them. And so, but before this happens, the gospel is going to be preached to all the nations. Um, and he comforts them even in this moment after, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Stephen, but I would want some comfort after Jesus says to me, hey, you're not only going to be thrown in court, but you're going to be beaten or flogged. And uh, Jesus says, don't worry, everything you need to say it's going to be given to you by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus even comforts them in the same sentence. Yes. So there's kind of a, a, a level that's coming from the authorities. The authorities are going to be against them. But then he also says that families are going to betray each other. Uh, brother to brother is going to deliver each other to death. A father, his child. I mean, that, that's hard to imagine. Uh, even family units being torn apart. And then people just, they're going to hate you like they hated Jesus. But he says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And that's an encouragement that we all need is that what, whatever we face, whether it's on a family level, whether it's from the authorities or whether it's just the hatred of the world, we need to endure to the end. And that was true for them. It's true for us. And again, everything that he's talked about so far is not the signs. It's not the, okay, when, when they start dragging you before the authorities, now you know. No. He says, this is going to happen first. The gospel is going to be preached, but the end is not yet. And let me just say uh, about the gospel must be first proclaimed to all the nations, because sometimes there's a question about that. Um, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23, the gospel had spread so much by the point that Paul is writing this letter. This is one of the prison letters that he writes toward the end of his life that Paul can actually say that the gospel has been preached in all creation when he writes this letter. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, he says, If you indeed continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, 
which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So I believe that this preaching of the gospel to all nations is something that happened before the physical destruction of the temple. Well, we can see that from Colossians chapter 1. And so that's just helpful as a time reference here that um, that is accomplished before the temple is destroyed. Which, by the way, for those who are interested, you, you can look that up. Uh, you could Google this type of thing. It's, it looks like it happened in about the year AD 70, whenever the temple was destroyed. And so feel free on your own time to research the destruction of Jerusalem. That's recorded for us in history. It's a very interesting thing to study. That's right. So uh, that gets us to the actual signs, uh, starting in verse 14. This is Mark chapter 13, verse 14. And let's read 14 down through verse 23. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house, nor take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. All right, so Jesus starts off by using a phrase, if you've never read the Bible or really haven't been in the Old Testament a lot, it's not a phrase you hear all the time. It talks about this abomination of desolation, which is kind of confusing. But we know from the book of Daniel, an Old Testament book, Daniel 9, 27, 11, 31, and Daniel 12, verse 11, that this is language Daniel was using back when he was prophesying and talking about the things to come and destruction to come. He referred to it as the abomination of desolation. Um, and so Jesus is borrowing that language as well that I think would have tipped off a lot of those who were hearing him say this. Yeah, and I think that really, I mean, what's happening here is Jesus is talking about the fulfillment of that prophecy and that Jesus laid out, oh, the Lord laid out in the Old Testament so much of what was going to happen in the kingdoms of men. Um, and Jesus is saying, hey, this is part of that. This is what Daniel was talking about. And so when he says, like, let the reader understand there in verse 14, he's like, hey, you guys been reading Daniel? You'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is the, the abomination of desolation. And he says, when you see this sign, this is the cue to run. You can escape the judgment, but you've got to get out of Jerusalem. You've got to flee to the mountains. And he says, you've got to go quick. Like, don't even go down to get anything. Like, it's going to be really hard for women who are pregnant or women who have little kids, because, of course, it's harder to travel quickly. And... Pray that it may not happen in winter. Again, it's harder to travel. And so he says, this is going to happen, but it's going to be rough when it does. We know from reading through Daniel and uh, looking at the different um, 
I guess, empires that Daniel prophesies against that all those things came true. And although this might be a scary thing to read about, it just goes to show the power of God and the foreknowledge of God that he had, and even the, the grace and the love of God that he had to warn people about these things to come. And so it's, it's very cool that Jesus is referring back to that prophecy of old to say, hey, this is happening. And when it does happen, here's how you can know, and it's time to get out. Thankful to Jesus and God that, that they gave us that way out and told us that it was happening. Right. And so this judgment is, again, one that there are specific signs they can look for. Um, and when they see those signs, they can run. And again, there's going to be other people trying to deceive people saying, oh, here's the Christ or there's the Christ. And no, that's not it. Um, he says, I'm telling you these things beforehand so that you'll be prepared and you need to be on guard. And like you said, Chase, this is a blessing from God that he cares about his people and he knows when his city is going to be destroyed and the temple is going to be wiped out. And so he wants people who will listen to be able to avoid that if possible. And so this one, he's given them this, uh, this warning, this heads up. So then we get to the end of this. And again, this is the part that it most sounds like the end of the world. Uh, some of the things we talked about may sound a little bit like the end of the world, but man, this last part really sounds like the end of the world. Um, but I think what we're going to see is Jesus is using Old Testament prophetic language to describe what the disciples are asking about. When are these, when is this temple going to be destroyed? What are the signs? And so he's going to um, pick up for us here uh, in verse 24 through 31 with some, some imagery about that. Yeah, let's go ahead and read that. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So I think it's really important that we notice verse 30 in this whole discussion. Jesus says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Everything that Jesus has been talking about up to this point in the discussion is going to happen within the, a time frame of one generation, which He's speaking around the year 30, 33 or so, and the temple is going to be destroyed about 40 years after that. And so that, and this makes sense. So how do we figure out, how does this language of the son of man coming on the clouds with power and glory? I mean, man, that sure sounds like Jesus coming back at the end of everything. How can this yeah, be about it, the destruction of Jerusalem? And some of your all's Bibles, if you're following along, it has maybe a, a head thing, like a, a header right before verse 24, that's saying that this is the coming of Jesus. This is judgment day. But like Stephen pointed out, it's really helpful to see in verse 31, everything that's taken place before this is going to happen in this generation. But the reason why some people who put together the text like this, put that subtitle before verse 24 is because verse 26 sounds like Acts 1. It sounds like 
Jesus is going to be coming back in the clouds. But what we learn, similar to verse 24 and 25 and 26, is that this is language Jesus is borrowing from the book of Isaiah. Uh, Verses 24 and 25, he's quoting from Isaiah 13 and verse 10, that's prophesying against Babylon and the judgment that's going to come against the nation of Babylon in the days of Isaiah. And in Isaiah 19, it's the prophecy. Let's let's just read that real quick. I think it's helpful just to see how clear this is in Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 13 and verse 1 Isaiah 13, verse 1 says, The oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. So it says, right, I'm going to tell you what this is about. This is about the nation of Babylon. And if you skip down to verse 9, Isaiah 13, 9, this is again in the section about Babylon. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant, and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. So the language of the stars being darkened, the sun and the moon being darkened, is judgment language in the Old Testament. The sun, moon, and stars are things that we consider to be constant. Like Other things may change, but the sun, moon, and stars keep going round. But when these huge nations fall, it's something that they thought was constant coming down. And so the language he uses is poetic to say it's going to be like the sun and the stars and moon have gone out. And so, but he says this specifically about a nation falling, Babylon in this case. And so Jerusalem and the Jewish nation being brought down, he uses similar language about the sun being darkened, the moon not giving its light, the stars falling from heaven. All of this is talking about destruction of a nation in the Old Testament, and that's what Jesus is talking about here as well. So looking at the next one about the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, in Isaiah 19 in verse 1, Isaiah switches gears a little bit, and in 19.1 of Isaiah, it says the oracle concerning Egypt. Now now his his prophecy and his, his judgment language is directed at the nation of Egypt, You all notice what it says right after that? Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and is about to come to Egypt. The idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. The heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. I mean, it's very clear that he's talking about the nation of Egypt, but the metaphor, the language he uses is the Lord coming on this cloud in judgment. That's a very common thing that you see through the prophets, that when God comes in judgment, he is coming in on this cloud to do so. And so now in in Mark 13, when Jesus says the Son of Man is coming in the clouds, it's the idea of judgment coming to the land. And, you know, I always thought about that as a kid is like coming on the clouds. I picture these like white puffy clouds, you know, he's going to like glide in on the wind. It's going to be nice. But when it says he's coming on the clouds, it means that the thunderstorm is his chariot. Like that's the picture of God in the Old Testament. He's coming in judgment and his voice is the thunder and fire is flashing forth. From him, and he's riding in and his, his ride is a squall line. It's a hurricane. Like this is God coming in judgment. And so when it talks about him coming in the clouds, it's not like, oh, yay, Jesus is coming back. It's like, here comes the Lord in judgment on a nation. And again, Egypt in Isaiah 19 and Jerusalem here in Mark 
13. They'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds of great power and glory. So this language from Isaiah, when we've read the prophets, it's a whole lot easier to understand the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. And that this is not talking right here about the final judgment. Now, I think these things foreshadow a final judgment, but Jesus is answering the disciples' question up to this point. He's talking about things that are going to happen in this generation, verse 30. And again, the lesson of the fig tree, verses 28 and 29, he's saying, I'm telling you these things so that just like you can tell when the fig tree is going to give its fruit, you can look at these signs too, and you can know when to run, when to get out of town, when the armies are going to come in and level Jerusalem and not one stone will be left on another. And Jesus is doing his people a favor here. Yeah. And going along with that, Jesus isn't making this up. And he doubles down in verse 31 by saying, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Uh, I think we often see this verse quoted in reference to maybe some of the teaching of, of Jesus. And I think that's a fine application. But he, he is talking about it in the context of the, of the destruction of Jerusalem he's just described. You're not going to be able to avoid this. This is happening. God's judgment is coming on Jerusalem. And this fact cannot be escaped. My words will not pass away about this. That's right. You will soon see that this is going to happen. In this generation, you'll see that this is going to happen. That's right. So we get to the end of the chapter, and there's some debate over what this is. I do think there's a little bit of a shift in Jesus's focus here, which Jesus will often do that, won't he? People ask him a specific question. He'll answer the surface level question, but then he'll get to the heart of it. He'll get to something deeper and not only answer what they asked. So we're going to see a, another judgment coming here at the end. I think there's some differences that help us see this is not the same judgment he's been talking about, but it's foreshadowed by the judgment of on Jerusalem. I'm picking up in Mark uh, 13. Let's read verse 31 on down through the end of the chapter. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So we get to the end of the chapter here, and he says concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Now, he might be saying the destruction of Jerusalem. I kind of wonder, though, if the day and hour has shifted because he's just talked in verse 31 about heaven and earth passing away. There's a difference here at the end of the chapter in that Jesus doesn't give any warning signs. He doesn't give any like, hey, watch out for this. He just says, stay awake. And there's a sense in which like nobody knows, not even the angels of the sun knows, but only God knows when the end is going to be. And I suspect the end here at the end of the chapter is probably the heavens and earth passing away, the very end of everything. And so I, it also, I think it can be helpful. depends on how you look at verse seven. Um, 
when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Could be referring to the end there also about the destruction of Jerusalem. I think he could also be saying that is not the end of it all. all. And if that is what he's referring to, he's coming back to it here at the end of the chapter saying, okay, now I'm going to talk about what's going to happen in the end all be all. I've heard it both ways uh, coming from verse seven as well. But regardless, I think there is a good case to be made that he is talking about the end all be all of the world and of the earth, um, especially in light of what he said in verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away. Right. And so his emphasis here, his emphasis early in the chapter was here are the signs. You can know when it's coming. You can run when you see it and you're prepared for it. At the end of the chapter, he's saying, just be ready. You don't know when it's going to be. And he doesn't say like run. He just says, just be ready. It seems to be a judgment that you can't run from. And it's going to be completely unexpected. There's no way to know when it's going to come. You just have to be ready for that final judgment. And that's true of the final judgment that we are waiting for. There are other passages in the New Testament that talk about the final judgment coming. And it's going to be something completely unexpected. We can read about it in like 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, that the resurrection, the end of all things is going to come very suddenly. And like a thief in the night is the analogy that's used. And here he uses a kind of a mini parable about, you know, a master of the house who leaves his servants in charge. And then they don't know when he's going to come back and they need to be doing faithful work when he comes back or um, they're going to get in trouble. And so this is helpful for us regardless of what the topic of this last paragraph is there are certainly parallels to the coming judgment at the end and we don't know when jesus is going to come back for a final time jesus did come in judgment on the city of jerusalem in the year 8070 and the roman armies came in and they leveled the place it was terrible you can read about it in in um, secular history but we're waiting for an even greater day and a final day of judgment. And really the application of this chapter for us is what Jesus tells them, stay awake, be ready for that day because we don't know when it's coming and we will all stand before King Jesus at the end. And again, regardless of what your thoughts are on this chapter, we need to be ready either for when we die, which could be any day. I mean, certainly we're learning that life is uncertain right now. Or the Lord could come back at any time, even if we're perfectly healthy. So we need to be ready. Yep. I mean, God's judgment is coming, uh, whether the Lord Jesus comes back or whether we die, and we need to be ready for that judgment to come. Jesus has warned about it here, but he's warned about it in other places as well. And uh, even the apostles will warn about the end-all, be-all of this, of this world. And so we need to be prepared and, and making things right in our lives to be prepared to meet our God. That's right. Well, thank you all so much for listening today. Um, we're going to look next week, Lord willing, in chapter 14 at the last, the very last days of Jesus' life, last couple of days, his betrayal and arrest and the beginning of his final suffering for us. Um, if you're enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast, uh, please subscribe, rate, review. That helps us share with more people. Uh, we've got online Bible studies going now. Uh, if you check us out at capitalcitychristians.com, there's more information about that. Or if you'd like to reach out to us personally, 717-585-0949 or drop us an email at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening today.